perpetual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for the next part of my journey through the scriptures. Stay as long as you like and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible. Those of us who are blessed with running water tend to take water for granted, unless we are complaining about how much it costs to water our lawns. But for millions of people today, running water is something that can only be dreamt of, and it was certainly the same for first century residents of the Mediterranean world. They had to draw water from a well and carry it to their homes, which was a tedious chore, or they were forced to wash their clothes in a nearby stream. Natural freshwater springs were scarce and were often only found in inaccessible mountain ravines. A city that was built on the river always prospered. Babylon was built on the Euphrates. Nineveh was built on the Tigris. Thebes was built on the Nile. And Rome was built on the Tiber. Rivers have been the streams of life for many of the cities of the world. One of the strange paradoxes is that Jerusalem was not built by a river. This was a disadvantage, and the Israelites always hoped that one day that their holy city, like the great cities of the world, could have a river. The prophets and psalmists were forever dreaming of this river. Ezekiel, in a vision, saw a wide river gushing out of Jerusalem. In Isaiah 33 verses 21, the prophets saw a future Jerusalem where the Lord in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams. To the Jewish mind, the ideal city must have a river. They believe that God himself dwelt by a river in heaven. In Psalm 46 verses 4 we read, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. In this podcast, we have come to the very end of Revelation, the final chapter in more ways than one. And at the beginning of that chapter, we read about a river in the New Jerusalem. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign for ever and ever. He has described the life of the eternal city of Jerusalem, and it is a picture of abundant fertility, full of life. There is a river of life and a tree of life. Both the river of life and the tree of life are found elsewhere in the Old Testament. They are not unique to the book of Revelation. In Psalm 46 verses 4 which we read earlier it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Ezekiel chapter 47 describes a river flowing out from the throne of God. The tree of life is found in the Garden of Eden. It was found there along with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But here in Revelation 22 it is back again. The river, although a literal river, also symbolizes the Holy Spirit. In John 7 verses 38 to 39, Jesus spoke about those who believe in him. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. 
for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The symbolism of the river is described in verse 39. The tree, although also literal, is a symbol of Jesus himself. He is the way, the truth and the life. The tree of life. When believers obey the word of God, they are eating and feeding on Jesus and drawing life from that nourishment. That is what this signifies. It brings spiritual health. We flourish when we follow his word and obey and live by it. In Revelation 22 verses 3 to 5, we see the three distinct ministries in the life of the eternal city of Jerusalem. In verse 3, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. This is the ministry of worship. The saints will joyfully worship and serve God. There is no greater privilege, pleasure or joy that you and I could ask than to spend eternity in the worship and the service of the God of our salvation. Secondly, there will be intimate fellowship. We will see his face and bear his name in the same way a bride bears her husband's name and sees his face. Thirdly, verse 5 says that they will have authority. It says, For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you think heaven is going to be boring? No. Boredom is a sign of selfishness. When you are bored, it is because you are selfish. You want someone to do something for you. You want some excitement to minister to you. But all selfishness will be ended then, and therefore there will be no boredom in heaven. There is a continual excitement, discovery, anticipation, and constant gratitude and praise. The rest of the book of Revelation beyond verse 5 is simply an epilogue. As the book began with a prologue, so it ends with an epilogue. Verses 6 to 21 consists mostly of assurances. Many Christians neglect the book of Revelation. They distrust it and do not understand it. Most believers need the reassurance that it comes from God and speaks the truth. Therefore, the epilogue is made of assurances. The first assurance is from the God of the spirits of the prophets in verse 6. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Here is a guarantee directly from God himself that these words are to be believed. They are therefore trustworthy and true. Then, in verse 7, there is an assurance from Jesus himself. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Jesus says, Read the prophecies, study them, and keep them. We will be blessed and strengthened by them, and they will prepare us to meet him when he comes. The third assurance comes from John himself in verses 8 to 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. There is an identical account in chapter 19 where the same thing is recorded. Personally, I do not believe that John would make the same mistake twice. I think that he is referring back here to what he did in chapter 19. He is reminding us how he reacted when he heard all these things. He says in effect, When I had heard them and seen them, I was so confused 
so uncertain and so overwhelmed that I fell down to worship at the angel's feet. He is recalling his most embarrassing moment and reminding us that the revelation of God's plan should always lead us to worship Him, and not lesser things or beings like angels. Our reaction to the book of Revelation should always be to let it lead us to worship God. When we read this book, we should open our hearts and praise the God of glory who gives us such a fantastic future as it is described here. What would our reaction be, and how do other people react to Revelation? Fourthly, there is another word from the angel in Revelation 22 verses 10 to 11. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. This is a reminder to us that each day we are working out one of two separate destinies. Either we are on the right track, following the Lord, walking with Him, doing what is right, or we are making a choice for wrong and our lives are falling apart. We must examine our lives in the light of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Are we moving closer to God, expecting the coming of Jesus Christ, or does the quality of our lives point to a rejection of God's love? No one can answer that question but you. Again, reassuring words come from Jesus in Revelation 22 verses 12 to 13, as well as a warning. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus reassures us of his promise that when he comes, all this shall become true. In verses 14 to 15, Jesus again reminds us of the two separate destinies. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. The reference to evildoers and the righteous is not an approval of sin. It is rather an expression that Jesus' return is inevitable and unavoidable. Another way of making this point might be, people can do whatever they want to, but the time is near and Jesus is coming soon. We should therefore be reminded that those who show their rejection of Christ through a persistent, unrepentant sin will find themselves separated from God. That is a most solemn warning, a reminder that what we do and believe from day to day is leading us in one direction or the other. Revelation 22 verses 16 is a very special verse. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. On only two occasions in the entire Bible does Jesus identify himself by that sacred name. To Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus road he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And here at the very end of the book of Revelation he announces, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. Jesus declares his credentials. He is the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is God, the Creator. He is the root and the offspring of David. 
He is also fully man, the descendant of King David, the Messiah of the Jews, heir to the throne of his father David, ruler of Israel. And he is the bright morning star, the one who promises to come for his own before the rising of the sun of righteousness. Notice how many times through this closing section we have a promise that Jesus is coming soon. Many skeptics read that and say, how could that be? This was said centuries ago. Some even scoff saying, John and the other apostles were wrong. They said he was coming soon, but 2,000 years have gone and he still hasn't come. This proves how wrong this Bible is. But if you read this book, remembering that it is a book that links time and eternity together, you will understand that everything here, either the destiny of the lost or the destiny of the righteous, takes place the minute we die. Jesus' coming is never any further away than your own personal death. Your death could be very soon. It might be sometime in the future. But it will not be long before each of us leaves time and enters eternity. When we arrive in eternity, the saints who have preceded us in death by a hundred or a thousand or two thousand years will not say to us, What took you so long? They will be just like us, new arrivals in eternity, amazed at the wonders that God has prepared for us all. In verse 17, Revelation starts to close with an invitation and another brief warning. The invitation comes from the Spirit of God Himself, and from the Bride, which are the redeemed of God, and from each individual Christian. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. All the voices join to encourage the reader. Come. In other words, take the free gift of life. It is waiting for all who come to Christ. The warning follows in Revelation 22 verses 18 to 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. In other words, do not change a thing. This is the truth of God. Do not change the truth of God. Do not subtract from it or add to it because it is what God says. As a symbolic book, Revelation requires interpretation, but we need to be careful. We should not take away its meaning by emphasizing the symbolic at the expense of the literal. We should not destroy its intent by accepting only the literal without understanding what it symbolizes. We must believe it. If we ignore, reject or distort God's truth, we risk missing out on God's plan. And we risk having to endure the terrors that are described in the book. We risk losing out on our portion of the tree of life and the beautiful holy city. Why must we believe it? Verse 20 explains why. He who testifies to these things say, Surely I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. To be honest, there is some ground for our childhood fears and bad dreams. Through much of the book of Revelation, the coming of Jesus is as much a threat as a promise. At the end of the Old Testament, the coming of God himself was a threat and not a blessed promise. The last verse of the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, says, Behold, 
I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. However, at the very end of the New Testament, the coming of God is the coming of Jesus, and it transforms our perception. Jesus says, Yes, I am coming soon. It is no longer a threat, but a promise. The bad dream is over. We can agree with the Apostle John and say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. There are both curses and blessings in the book of Revelation, but blessing always has the last word. If we make peace with the coming of Jesus, the long letter comes to a close. As we come to the close of the book, and just like the letters of Paul, I join the Apostle John and say to you all, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, be with all the saints, all believers, those set apart for God. Amen. This is David Wiles, your fellow traveler in Christ, and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, episode 60.